You're listening to Find Your Voice, a podcast made in collaboration with community-backed independent for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the traditional land of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Find Your Voice. This is a podcast where we talk policy issues and all sorts of interesting things about what's going on in Goldstein, but also around the country in the lead up to this year's federal election. And it's my great pleasure this morning to be joined by Helen Haynes, who is the member for Indi, an independent who followed my good friend, Kathy McGowan, into that seat and has made it her mission to introduce an integrity bill to the Australian Parliament. Now, as you would know, if you've been following my campaign, this is certainly one of my key pillars. So I thought it'd be a great idea to get Helen on to talk integrity and just exactly how she has put this bill together and how it would look. Helen, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Zoe. It's a delight to join you this morning from a very rainy Wangaratta in Northeast <laughs> Victoria. Helen, you were elected to the parliament in 2019. As I said, you are an independent. You followed Cathy McGowan into a seat that had been uh, traditionally a, a liberal slash national seat, if you like, a, a, a safe seat. And you decided to tackle this issue of integrity and you've put forward a, an integrity bill. Why integrity? There, I guess there are lots of issues that you could have chosen to tackle, and I know it's, you're not a single-issue uh, politician, but why has this been such a prominent part of your first term in Parliament? Yeah, thanks, Zoe. Look, this is a prominent part of my national work in because, fundamentally, the people of Indi told me to make it a priority. When we um, look at Indi and uh, look at it turning independent, being that uh, maverick that rogue seat in 2013 when uh, Cathy um, won the seat by the narrowest margins, 432 votes, I think it was, right down to the wire. The reason why Indi did what it did was because the people were so dissatisfied with with the behaviour of politicians, uh, with a sense that they could no longer trust them, um, with a real fear that public monies were not being used for the purpose of public good, that in, indeed many, um, many millions, well, billions of dollars were being spent uh, to buy favour in seats that governments wish to win. And, of course, um, during that period we saw... Uh, a musical chairs of primesters. So the issue of integrity was a core element of why Indi became independent in 2013. And uh, what we've seen since then is no improvement in public trust with our federal government. And what we've seen is in fact further erosion uh, of good governance around public funds when it comes to election um, maladministration, I would say, rather than, than pork barrelling. So everywhere I go in Indi, Zoe, when, it, when I first started, uh, when, when I won the seat in, in 2019, one of the first great big challenges I faced was the Black Summer bushfires. And I'll, I'll never forget the day I was in Corion, in, uh, that's right up on the Murray River, um, a very remote Upper Murray town. And I was in the evacuation centre. I was speaking to an elderly couple who had uh, been evacuated from their dairy farm in the middle of milking their cows. And I sat talking with them. We talked, of course, about bushfires. But after about 20 minutes, when I was preparing to, to go and speak with some other people, this elderly woman touched my arm and said, Helen, um, thank you, but listen, 
don't you let go of that issue of integrity in the federal parliament, will you? It's so important. Uh, and, and that kind of conversation follows me wherever I go, Zoe. Um, everyday people of all sorts of, of stripes mention this to me constantly because fundamentally, Australians hate being ripped off. Uh, it's harder to earn a uh, If you've ever been on a, uh, a school parents committee, if you've ever been on a footy club committee, if you've ever been a local bowling club person, uh, if you've ever driven on a shocking country road or you've ever tried to get healthcare in a small hospital, you know that every dollar that is misspent is a dollar that doesn't go to those places. So that means a lot to people. That's why I pursue it. And, and I went to the federal parliament uh, with an understanding that the Prime Minister had promised the nation a federal integrity committee to address these issues. Uh, and I very patiently actually waited for that to happen. Uh, and in the process of waiting for that to happen, I went to see the relevant um, people who were responsible for that. So the then Attorney General, Christian Porter, I spoke to him very, very early on in my tenure about the Integrity Commission. I wanted to see the work that he'd already done. I wanted to see the uh, draft um, framework that he had. Um, we talked about that. I brought it up with the Prime Minister in my regular meetings. And then it became, of course, glaringly obvious that this uh, Integrity Commission um, was was not going to appear. So that's when I began to um, to work more broadly to introduce a private members bill. So take us through the bill and, you know, just kind of, if you could, give us a pricey of what the bill seeks to achieve and how it's different from the bill that the government has been working on, which has been heavily criticised by experts. I might add, but what's the difference between them? Yeah, so Zoe, first first thing, um, my bill is has been built upon the work of many people. So um, we first started talking about uh, the introduction of the Federal Integrity Commission into our body politic more than a decade ago, and uh, the Greens first introduced a bill to Parliament uh, that uh, that that failed in that the government did not embrace that. Uh, we had Senate inquiries about the formulation of a Federal Integrity Commission bill. Uh, Cathy McGowan, prior to me, uh, worked with all sides of government too, trying to push forward on the introduction of a bill and indeed um, built on the Greens work and introduced her own private members bill. Um, I think that was 2017, no, 2018. And then uh, that was introduced as a private member's bill and wasn't debated and, and then the election was called um, and uh, that's where it sat. So I picked up on the on work and um, added additional safeguards, really, that were highlighted during Senate inquiries and, and throughout public consultation. The biggest, I think, the biggest criticism of of the State and Territory Integrity Commissions, and, and as your listeners would know, there are in, uh, integrity commissions in every state and territory. The only jurisdiction that doesn't have one is the federal government. Uh, the biggest criticism has been that, uh, that they're star chambers, that they can be used for political purposes, and, and most particularly federal government MPs, and indeed uh, the Prime Minister himself is the loudest critic, um, is of the New South Wales ICAC. And uh, there are claims, false, I believe, uh, that that particular Integrity Commission is is uh, is rogue. Now, that's not true, of course. That's uh, a device that the PM has been using to try to, uh, to get people to forget about this election promise. But the bill that I've put together has been put together with uh, the advice uh, and expert oversight of many retired judges uh, of uh, legal 
academics uh, experts, people like AJ Hunt from Griffith University, who has spent considerable years of his uh, professional career working in the integrity space. Indeed, Centre Public Integrity, um, alongside Griffith University, put out a comprehensive review of all of the integrity commissions across the nation. Uh, the government proposed framework under Christian Porter's model and my bill, um, last year and lined up on a spectrum and found the bill that I've put forward, Australian Federal Integrity Commission bill, um, sat very firmly in um, that golden space that was seen as being robust enough to do the job it's intended to do, and that's to, to root out corruption in, uh, in the federal space, uh, but with the safeguards to protect individual reputations. So what key to uh, the bill that I've put forward in contrast to the bill that, or it's not a bill that the government have put forward, that's a, a, a key thing to get clear. They haven't put any legislation forward, they've put a framework. My bill allows for one set of rules for all people, whether you're an MP, whether you are an Australian Federal Police person, whether you are someone from Border Force, or whether you are someone from uh, any federal uh, public service. Department. And those rules uh, include public hearings, um, it's in the public interest to do so. The capacity to look retrospectively um, when it's uh, with the desire to understand systemic corruption. It has safeguards that would mean uh, that public hearings are only undertaken when it's in the public interest to do so and, and safeguards such as if you're called to a, uh, an investigation by the Federal Integrity Commission, let's say you're a junior staffer for a, a minister who's under investigation and there's a chance that by association your career could be ruined purely by being a witness, then there's an opportunity for the Commissioner to determine um, private hearings. A key element of reputational protection in my bill is that at the end of an investigation, should uh, the person who was under investigation be found to have no case to answer, there's a full exoneration that has to be tabled to the federal parliament, a public exoneration and report. We don't see that in uh, integrity commissions and it's really crucial uh, that that person's reputation is is cleared, really, really important. Um, there's some of the key elements. The government bill does not allow for public hearings for MPs. It is not uh, retrospective. The other other thing is the definition of corruption. So uh, what uh, the government's proposed framework is putting forward bar to even be investigated by the commission would need to reach uh, a, a criminality, a, a genuine suspicion of criminality before it would be investigated. Now, we already have courts to do that. It, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, systemic corruption or um, alleged corruption, whereby there may be significant conflicts of interest influencing a minister's or an MP's decision-making in, uh, in the way they carry out their public work. So a broad definition of corruption is really, really important, not, not just criminality. There are a couple of other things that I see as priorities when it comes to integrity. One is truth in political advertising and the other is transparency yeah. in political donations. I still feel that the penny hasn't quite dropped for a lot of Australians around just how political donations affect the kind of policy that we end up being stuck with. And I think yeah. more transparency around that, for example, would give people a, a clearer picture of just who's driving our policy positions in the background. Is it possible yeah. to envelop those two things 
under an integrity commission in some way? Or do you see those as sort of separate pieces of legislation, if you like? I think they're inextricably linked. You're absolutely right. Um, my good friend and colleague, uh, Zali Stegall, has introduced a private member's bill to parliament around truth in political advertising, for example. Uh, Rebecca Sharkey has introduced a public member's bill around um, political donations. Um, so too have I uh, around transparency of political donations. I have real, well, close to real time um, transparency of donations that come through to me. That's all available on my website. Anything over the, the AEC threshold um, is on my website within five days. Uh, and I report every three months on smaller donations. Anything um, above $1,000 uh, is reported on my website. So um, these things are absolutely possible to do if an independent such as me uh, with my limited resources, no big party machine behind me can do that, anybody can. The issue, of course, Zoe, as you know so well, um, is that Australians don't know who is donating in a clear way to our major parties, then we have no sense of, of what kind of influence is taking place. Now, mm. um, if we were to look at things like uh, the Leppington Triangle uh, infrastructure spend there uh, on the Western Sydney airport, uh, there's been uh, a very uh, damning report, of course, by the ANAO indicating that the amount of money spent on that was far in excess of what that land was worth. Um, and we can see, if you follow the money, of course, you can see um, who's donating uh, and the potential influence of a donor um, into a major party and a decision on infrastructure. Um, we've seen allegations up uh, in the Northern Territory too, um, in the Beetaloo Basin, and, um, and licenses has been given for exploration around fracking. Like there's many, many questions that uh, a sensible and careful person would ask. Now, um, that's where there's linkages that could well be referred to an integrity commission. So, um, again, I, I agree with you. I think we need legislation to reform political donations. I think we absolutely need legislation to reform truth in political advertising. God help us. I mean, you, you can't advertise, uh, you know, washing detergent, uh, saying that it will do what it won't do, um, uh, you know, but but you can say what you like. I mean, a, a political opponent can say whatever they like about you or me. And likewise, mm. we could do the same back if we chose to. I think Australians are, are fed up to the back teeth of this nonsense and they want reform. I know they do. They tell me they do. Um, but I think uh, they do need separate pieces of legislation in answer to your direct question. Um, but a referral could be made to an integrity mm. commission um, if there were concerns around those two issues. And they should be made to an integrity commission. And right now, they cannot be because yeah. there's no such commission. So let's talk about process. So you've, as you said, Cathy McGowan had a bill, there have been sort of various attempts to try to address these issues in several private members' bills of various ilks, in, including yours, mm. and yet here we are yep. about to go to an election we still don't have a Federal Integrity Commission. What's that process been like as an independent and how optimistic are you that you can actually make this happen to, to get it through the parliament and get a commission up? 
So uh, let's talk about the process. And for me, as a community independent, the process is always um, driven by the people I represent. So I had a very clear indicator from my community that they wanted me to continue to pursue this issue of integrity. Uh, so very soon after I was elected, in fact, in the October of 2019, after gathering with my staff and thinking through how we would campaign to ensure that the government delivered on their promise, we felt that we needed to connect the idea of integrity to real stories that made sense to people who weren't weren't part of our big band of orange supporters to more broadly um, get this understanding across the community why this really matters. Um, we decided that we would uh, link the issue of integrity to the history of our region and um, we told the story of William Guest, a um, young guyner in the town of Beach with uh, in Goldrush, who um, his case was uh, unfairly dealt with by uh, the police and the jurisdiction at the time. Um, from that story, we crafted a set of principles, which we call the Beechworth principles, which um, basically laid out the key tenets uh, of an integrity commission with teeth, um, those issues of retrospectivity and public hearings and public reporting accountability, one set of rules for all. Um, we took that then to the Beechworth Courthouse where um, William Guest's uh, issue had been, been tried. And uh, we had uh, the Honourable David Harper, um, retired Supreme Court appeals judge there, uh, and the word out in our community, we did pretty fast actually, and within a very short time, it was only about a week, we said, we come up with this idea and we thought, let's, let's get the people together and see what they reckon. Um, and uh, that courthouse was filled to overflowing. We had a young um, student from the local Beechworth High School give a rousing address about the story of William Nest uh, and we presented the Beechworth principles and from that gathering at the courthouse a petition was launched um, by the people of Indi and uh, they took carriage of pushing forward for the Beechworth principles. I then took that petition to Parliament. We had uh, Bushfires intervene uh, very soon after that, um, and that's where we began the campaign to keep the government, hold the government to account on their promise. What happened next, though, um, as I uh, touched on at the beginning, is there was no action from the government, none at all. And uh, this, you know, kicking kicking their framework off to for the further consultation that went on and on and on. But what I did was what I've always done throughout my professional life, and that was try to collaborate with other people. So, so I took my Beechworth principles uh, to every member of parliament and every senator. I wrote to them all. I sent them a copy. I had very nice little booklets printed, little brochures printed, sent them to all of them and invited them um, to meet with me to discuss them. Now, many people did, uh, many people did not, uh, but I started working with a core group of uh, members of the backbench of the House of Representatives who were particularly interested in this. Um, that was a really great uh, opportunity for us to come and think about the things that were core to our electorates um, and to the nation. Uh, they then went to the Attorney General, that group of people, and said, we want to work with Helen on this and we think you should work with Helen on this too. So that work was happening um, right throughout 2020. Um, and then in 2021, or the end of 2020, uh, again, obvious to me that no bill was forthcoming in any shape or form, really, from the government. That's when I introduced uh, AFIC. Uh, that was in the October. And then we had a bill uh, that was out there for all to see and, uh, and for the details to be really clear. I continued to ask questions in the House. I continued to meet with the Prime Minister. We had a new, new Attorney General. I uh, met with the new Attorney General. And uh, then I guess the culmination of, of, 
all of this work, uh, in addition to the people of Indi continuing to push, they ran full page uh, advertisements in uh, newspapers uh, right throughout not just our region, but electorates um, of those MPs who showed interest with uh, a couple of hundred signatures of a lot of people saying, get behind our member of parliament, make this happen. Uh, so the people continued to work. And then uh, as uh, your listeners may have noticed, the second last week of the period last year brought this to a head by calling um, to suspend standing orders debate my bill, which I had reintroduced to the House and introduced to the Senate. And we saw a member of the government, um, Bridget Archer, the member for Bass, who'd been working for with me for these last uh, few years, cross the floor in support of, uh, of this. It was so important to Bridget, and she did so in a spirit of great collaboration. She made a, uh, a very powerful speech in in not crossing the floor to support me, but to actually stand and second the motion to make this happen. It was a very powerful moment and demonstrated as we won vote on the floor twice, uh, that if the full parliament had have been sitting that day, um, we would have ended up debating my integrity commission bill. We couldn't because uh, we needed an absolute majority. We needed 76 people and that was not possible because of the COVID restrictions. It, it's quite a process. Yeah, so I guess it? you asked it's me- It's a frustrating so we, process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I actually don't feel that frustrated. Um, what, what I think has been achieved throughout this um, is that I know that um, should the parliament return in full in February, if I was to make the same move, um, I would win the vote. Um, so there's that. Uh, the second part of this is this, uh, during that week, you may well recall that the, the big news item of the week in terms of legislation was the religious discrimination bill. That didn't make the front page. Uh, ultimately, what the page was the discussion on integrity and that the government um, have broken an election promise on the most mm. uh, fundamental thing that you could ever break an election promise on, uh, truth-telling. Yeah. Truth-telling in public life is the election promise that uh, Mr Morrison has chosen to break. So I think that's been extremely powerful. Um, I think what I've demonstrated and what I find um, gives me great energy and great courage is that if you work with respect and honesty and, um, and uh, persistence with other members of parliament, you can come to a place where you really agree and that you can work together to make something happen. Now, after the member for Bass crossed the floor, quite a few other members of government had a word to me too. So um, mm -hmm. let's see, Zoe. But I think uh, whenever people say that an independent and a private member's bill can go nowhere, uh, I would challenge them to take a look at the story of the Federal Integrity Commission and what's happened, or what happened in those last two weeks of 2021. Well, Helen, I'll look forward to working with you as a member of parliament when we get to that point after you get re-elected, after I get elected later this year. And uh, I really appreciate this conversation and I'm sure our audience does too, just to give some clarity to how that bill looks, what your, your motivations have been. And of course, they're, they're very similar to mine on, on this issue. And I really appreciate you giving us some time. Thanks, Helen. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Zoe, and um, I, I wish you great strength and energy and uh, I, I so, so very much hope for our electorates and for the nation that we sit together on the crossbench um, as we enter into this, uh, this next 
parliamentary phase uh, with election in front of us, as you know, and uh, let's hope the 47th Parliament has uh, Zoe Daniel and Helen Haynes sitting side by side with our other crossbench members. That would be a brilliant thing. Thanks, Zoe. Exciting times. Thanks, Helen. You can learn more about Zoe, her policies, and how you can support this grassroots campaign at zoedaniel.com.au. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and share with your family and friends. Every bit of support matters. This podcast is authorised by Zoe Daniel, Level 1, 9-214 Bay Street, Brighton, Victoria, 2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-